And welcome back to the Murdy Creative Co. Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Murdy, and today's topic is what happened. But first, I want to say thank you to everyone who supported the company so far. If you haven't got a chance, go check us out on the web at murdycreative.co. That's M-U-R-D-Y creative.co. Or you can check us out on our Facebook page and Instagram by searching at murdycreative.co to see the best of our product shots. Follow us to keep up to date with our daily photos and be the first one to know about new product launches. You can also use the subscribe button at the bottom of our website to be included in all of our new product announcements. Be sure to check out our laser engraving, personalization options, and uh, exclusive products on our website. Or you can get a blank one on Amazon Prime. All right, it's been a long time since I've done that intro. Um, First and foremost, I want to say thank you to our patient fans who were patient enough to uh, wait during this difficult time for us to get back at it. And then I also want to say a big thanks to our impatient fans for encouraging me to get back at it and to tell what happened. Uh, Both of you were both instrumental in encouraging me in both ways. So, wow, it has been a long time since I podcasted. And a lot's happened, as everyone in the world probably knows. Um, We've had an unbelievable crisis, a pandemic globally. We've had a massive shift in a lot of things in the way our daily lives act. And it's truly a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, And I think as a business owner, things have changed. They really have. You know, before it was like 2017, 2018, I was talking with dad about how I was thinking about starting a company, maybe. Um, and my father is an MBA from the University of Chicago, so he's like a, he's not a slouch when it comes to business things. And he had said, you know, hey, at that time it was like, okay, well, it's been about ten years since our last big crisis. So if you're going to start something, you got to make it profitable from the beginning, and you've got to be aware that that's like uh, in, is like coming, it's like looming. And then you know, obviously, over the course of the last well three ish years before the coronavirus, we've had an unbelievably booming economy. We've seen growth that has been unheard of in like living memory as well. It's like we've had, it was like unbelievably low unemployment significantly. It was just, it was crazy. The economy was exploding. We almost broke 30,000 in the stock market. So that was like coming up. So it's kind of, it was easy to get lulled into a sense of, well, you know, it's okay to run up debt right now during our building phase, you know, after we got started because you know, we'll be able to pay it off. Things are continuing to grow. And this is the part of building a big business, right? And our mindset had shifted. You know, when I'd started for the first year, right, from February of 2018 to like February of 2019-ish, we had had, it was like Leah and I, and, you know, at the tail end of that, we brought on somebody to help out part-time and then full-time. So like, that was like, we were a little company out of our like house. Then 2018 or 2019 to 2020, that was a, like February of 2020, that was a big year for us. We had tripled almost quadrupled in size both in employees and in revenue pretty much any way you slice what happened we basically had a huge growth and um you know in the summer of 2019 we hit our first seasonal slow part and so that's what ended up happening was we started taking a little bit of debt which i had never wanted to do but we needed to and uh we'd really struggled but during christmas we were able to get most of it paid off and and we were kind of in a pretty stable setting in january and february of of 2019 we're or 2020 we're on track to kind of beat our goals of 20 2018 and 2019 together and we were really excited about that so early march was when the coronavirus kind of started rolling around i don't know if anybody can remember back that far but i like most of the world at that time thought well it's a that's a problem that's gonna it's kind of like ebola right like that was a thing it was exciting and it was scary and very few people got it so i thought it was gonna be like that i think a lot of people thought it was gonna be like that or sars you know we had similar kinds of things where it was oh no this is a terrible disease it's new and it's you know but then it fades or then it goes away or they quarantine and they kind of take care of it 
right? But then coronavirus wasn't going away, and it was getting worse, and it was getting worse. And a lot of the early data was terrifying. 2% death, 6% of tested cases. Like, it was, that was astronomical. That was, like, world-shaking, world-ending numbers. Now, I think at the beginning of that, that we were all saying, okay, well, what's going to happen next? And I thought nobody, I don't think anybody thought, like, lockdowns would happen, right? I jokingly told um, my friend, I called them two weeks before the lockdowns were in place. And I had said, um, my, one of my suppliers, one of my vendors, actually, I'd been visiting with them and picking up some stock and, uh, they were saying, yeah, I have a friend in the national guard and they're gearing up to do like enforced lockdowns. And I called my friend who's a little bit more of a prepper than I am and a little bit more of a, of a boogaloo boy than I am. And he, um, he said, all of our sources in the national guard said, that's not true. So I said, I said, can you imagine a lock, a lockdown? Like where truly people aren't, aren't able to like go anywhere. He said, that'll never happen in this country. And so I kind of thought that too. And then in Wisconsin, the lockdown order was passed. Now the lockdown, obviously the quarantine was not as stringent as a, you can't go anywhere. Right. But for a lot of businesses, it might've, it might as well have been right. If you think about that for you as an individual, you had to stay at home. But for businesses, all of their employees had to stay at home. And for a business like ours, where we make things, like that's difficult, right? That that we, you don't you can't have people really make it from home. But like a good soldier, I sat there and I put out all of the. I did all of the math. I said, okay, we've got four laser engravers. If we took and we ended up putting our laser engravers in people's in like our employees homes and we sent them inventory via the mail, could they put it together? Like we we were we had a contingency plan. As far as that goes, and it would have been a problem, but the bigger problem wouldn't have been the manufacturing, although that would have been a horrible problem. But the bigger problem would have been if the economy tanks and nobody's buying anything, it doesn't matter. We're not going to have sales. And, you know, obviously having employees without having sales is a problem. So it's March 24th. I think that was a Friday. No, March 24th was when we launched it. I would have to look specifically at the calendar to make sure I have the dates right. But um, it was the Friday before the lockdown. Uh, and basically they were saying that all non-essential businesses were going to be closed. Well, we absolutely would fall into the non-essential category. And so the answer is if you're in a business, if you're a business owner and you fall into a non-essential category, what are your options? Close or make yourself essential. Now I, um, the Lord had blessed us and we have Meryl who is our head of, she's the director of production and operations. Really? That's a fancy title. She's my number two and she's unbelievably good at her job. She it was a professional seamstress before she joined us. Uh, she had training in it. She worked as a manager of, of, uh, of um, basically a clothing costume manufacturing place. So she knew the, the business in that world. And so I said to her, I said, you know, can you put together a couple of different designs for me for how we could do face masks if we were going to do face masks? And I'd also worked on saying, could we use the laser cutters and laser engravers to make face shields? That was a possibility. We kind of came up with a design for that. Uh, and that was going to go live. But the problem was that we ended up getting so swamped with the face masks that we never quite got that rest of that, the face shields built. And we also were having trouble finding the right supply of the right materials to make those. That obviously became a critical problem. So she came up with me that Friday night. I, she went home and made like six different variations. And it was different number of pleats, different designs, different ties, different ways to put it together, all these different things. And so I kind of ended up saying, okay, I want that piece of that, that piece of that, that piece of that. So we ended up putting a design together, which to some extent you can still buy on our website to this day, actually. But we ended up saying, okay, well, we're totally switching our production now 
to making masks and that allow us to continue to be essential that allow us to help, you know, fight the good fight. And also it'll allow us to, um, be able to sell things to the public, which was obviously a challenge. And, and there was a lot of lashback in the beginning about saying, you know, why are you selling masks to the general public, um, when they aren't effective, which obviously was not true. Um, and obviously was kind of a, it was, I don't think it was a lie, but I think it was intentionally designed to limit the number of private buyers from buying up the public face mask availability. So, and I knew that we were going to learn more information. So, you know, there was a lot of pushback about us selling masks directly to the public. And for us, the answer was, well, there are people in the public sphere who are not going to be eligible to get masks, you know, which are going mainly to the primary care providers. But at the same time, need masks because of their job, whether they're, you know, garbage men, policemen, um, teachers, because at the time school hadn't really closed down yet. Or, um, you know, you have people who are assisted living people who help in nursing homes or people who go into people's homes who need help and things like that. So those are all people who obviously needed to be wearing masks as well. Uh, and so I said, well, we're not going to make masks that aren't the very best they possibly can be. So as a fundamental aspect of our design, the design itself needed to be able to deal with filtration material. And our early attempt at launching a mask had been using disposable, like a disposable style mask out of filters that we had laser cut. Very quickly, we realized that was, that was a, a, it was a good idea and a bad problem that had, that had problems. And for example, we couldn't get the materials we needed in anything more than like, like local stores, right? So that immediately severely limits your ability to make them. And if they're disposable, then all of a sudden you have the problem of that issue. So we needed to come up with a design that used a lot less filter material to produce a lot more safe masks. And so we knew we wanted to do, um, ironically, because I'd been the one to build the HVAC system that we ended up using in our workshop to uh, filter the particulates because I wanted it to be really, really high end. And so I ended up doing a lot of research and building a custom one for us. Uh, I knew a little bit about uh, MERV ratings and the commercial HVAC filtration systems. And obviously I didn't want it to use any of the fiberglass, uh, filters because that's that while it's probably safe, right? There's, there's like a lot of evidence to say that using the fiberglass filters probably was safe. It presented a whole liability issue and there was a chance I was wrong. So I said, we weren't going to use any of the fiberglass. We were only going to use the synthetic stuff. And I wanted to get the very best MERV rating we could. In the beginning that was MERV 11, that was what we could get in the first few days. Very quickly, we were able to like secure suppliers for MERV 13, 14, and then eventually we were close to getting a MERV 16, which is um, uh, MERV 13 and 14 is similar to like a surgical mask or a little bit better. And uh, MERV uh, 16 is very close to like an N95 respirator and its capability to filter particles of that, that size. And there was a lot of pushback. Why were we selling this to private individuals? And the honest truth of the matter was we had gone to the Wisconsin Department of Health and we had started talks with them and we had communicated with them. And they basically said, you know, we need these masks, but we don't need them yet. And we don't know when we'll need them. And we don't know if we'll really need them. So we can't guarantee any sort of buying power. Right. Well, that's an issue. If you're a small business owner and you're trying to keep your employees employed and you're trying to keep the business going, you can't just say, well, we're going to buy all the materials and get ready for a contract that may never come. So we said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy the materials, we're as many as we can, reasonably. We're going to get production rolling. We're going to sell to private individuals. And if in the future the government needs us to make masks for them, then we'll cut back on our private sales and we'll sell just to the government, right? We'll, we'll change that. But it, make, it makes more sense. And it made more sense for us to say, well, we're going to get good at making masks. We're going to get a system in place. We're going to run it. We're going to test it. We're going to push it. Um, 
you know, in the private market before we then, you know, because then when we then the government asks, well, how many masks can you make? We actually have an answer that's not just us making things up. So we started that way. And in the first day, so we launched them. Actually, it was the night of the 24th. We launched them the night of the 24th for pre-sales, for three days of pre-sales. And I had bought as much material at the time as I thought was reasonable. I bought about enough to make about 400, 300 masks. Um, and I thought that was going to be a lot, right? I didn't, I didn't think we were going to see a huge increase in sales. And I didn't know if we were going to be able to get more material. And so I priced them in part because I, I thought, well, if we don't get, we aren't able to get any more material than this for a while, this will be able to allow us to keep the lights on and keep our people employed, even if they aren't making anything, because that'll be able to be a good choice. And I, and that's, I mean, and part of it as a business owner is like, it's not just about obviously like, you know, keeping my, making myself money, right? Like that's part of it, right? You know, nobody wants to go broke, but a bigger part of it for me is it's like all of these workers, they're my friends, right? We've built a company around a lot of my friends and, you know, together we've built a strong company that can make good things and make a lot of good things. And so I wanted to say, well, you know, taking care of them, keeping the business alive, even if it's in some small way, um, is going to be really key to all of this and to surviving this. So I, um, we launched them for three days of pre-sales and within the first 24 hours, I have to go back and look at the actual numbers. I know we sold, I think 365, 370 or something like that in the first 24 hours. That was nerve wracking. The early numbers that I had proposed for like what we could do for production said that we could do maybe 200 to 300 a day in production numbers. And I knew that the the sales would probably taper off. We've done a lot of pre-sales the first day and like the last day before they launch are like the two biggest days because obviously you've got your early adopters who want to get in and get them. And then you've got your people who realize that if they buy it today, they're not going to have to wait that long. So that you kind of have like a big bump at the beginning. It kind of tapers off and then you have a big bump at the end. That's how pre-sales normally work for us. And we were only doing a three-day pre-sale, so I didn't expect us to see, you know, a significant change day to day, but we sold almost all or more all than all of the masks we'd expected this to have for like a while in that first day the next day so briefly for that day i was saying with pre-sales i was like okay well i don't know if we can keep selling these if i don't know if i can get the supply so the next morning i got back on the phone with all of our suppliers i ordered enough to do i think at the time like 1200 masks then the pieces for that and then we had a problem of we don't have anybody who can like we thought at the beginning it was just going to be merrill with her commercial machine making these very quickly, we realized the demand was going to be a lot higher than that. And so we ended up, first Merrill reached out to her network of professional seamstresses that she had known from her time being in the industry. And we brought on a handful of them, but there was really early, uh, there was a problem. And that was the CARES Act was like being kind of finalized or maybe it passed. I'm not hundred percent sure on the timeline, but I know that when we were trying to bring on the seamstresses early on, they didn't want to work because if they worked, they were worried they were going to lose their unemployment benefits. And that was a, that was frustrating for me. It was really frustrating for me. I don't blame them, right? If you can get paid $20 an hour to not do anything, it's hard to justify getting paid $21 to do something. So we worked back and forth with them. We talked with our accountants. We read through the details of the bill that had been passed. And what we were able to find out was essentially that theoretically self-employment income during that time wouldn't count against your unemployment benefits. 
Obviously, there's a little details about figuring that out for sure, but as far as we're aware, that's still the case. And if anybody knows otherwise or has thoughts on that, please obviously message us. This is like new territory for a lot of us, so we're still working on the details. But as far as we can tell, that, that was going to be exempt. And that was kind of decided at the very end. That was kind of a line item that was added towards the end of the negotiations. And so suddenly we were able to say, okay, you know what? You can make your unemployment benefits and you can make your self-employment income on top of that while you work for us. So we ended up bringing on, at the beginning, it was just two additional people. I think at the by the end of it, between our professional network and then we had a bunch of home sewers that we had kind of we had, we'd done a small kind of opening to the public of home sewers. And I talked a little bit about that on the podcast. Um, but we ended up saying we ended up having, I think, by the end of it, probably 12 people total sewing for us. And, you know, I think I think our best day ever of making like of put, producing and shipping out masks, it didn't happen for two and a half weeks, but was like. 250 masks i want to say that's packaged with filters and shipped out in one day from start to finish like and and by that i mean we ended up having we the in the workshop like the rest of the team would cut like would do pre-cutting of the materials using the lasers or doing the you know twill tape and anything like that um and we did get faster at that process quite a bit so we ended up making that faster process we got better at making the nose pieces quicker which is obviously an entire new material and an entire new process for us using metal and a grinder and all these things so you know, that, that was a big issue was early on was we had these massive sales. So it was 300 the first day. I think the second day it was 190. The third day it was 170. And the fourth day, I mean, so like we just had these day after day after day after these big numbers. And it was like, it was, it was daunting. Um, and I, I would say that that kind of those high level numbers lasted for the first seven or so days of the launch. I think it was Wednesday of that next week that I said, we have to stop. We have to put them out of stock, right? We've sold... I think at the time it was like 700 masks and we've produced, we've shipped out like 70 of them. So I'm like, we have to put these out of stock until we can either at least get caught up or get close enough that it's not going to be a 10 day lead time for you to get these masks because that's a problem. So we ended up putting them out of stock and we, and then that was an issue, right? A lot of people asked the message us, do you still have these? Do you have them? Whatever. And so basically what we ended up doing was saying, okay, now we're going to use the messaging system, the text messaging system as a way to alert people that they're going to be back in stock. And our plan was this. We started getting production up and rolling by that end of that. So there was that first week of pre-sales, Tuesday to Friday. By the end of the second week, Monday to Friday, we had put um, them out of stock, but we had started to get kind of, we were kind of getting into the groove of things. And we had, we were getting some of the first batches of sewn masks back from our home sewing network. Cause basically we said, we'll ship you the materials pre-cut and you have a couple of days to make them and then ship them. We'll include a label and you ship them back to us. And then we'll, you know, do all of the final work and we'll put them in packaging and get them out. Right. And obviously on top of all of this, we're dealing with buying from supply chains that are very, very weak and very unindated. And we are dealing with, um, new, new vendors who we've never dealt with before. And obviously it's difficult when you're brand new to trust vendors. And obviously vendors are hesitant to trust us because they don't have any history with us. So they don't know if we're not going to pay for these things. And so obviously there was, you know, kind of working through that process was difficult. Um, but we just did it right. We just worked through the problem. We ended up switching the issue that we were having. So we, we were trying to find the filter material. That was a huge problem because nobody sold the filter material. And then we figured out that we, we were able to trace the manufacturing of the filter material back to the original manufacturer in the United States. So we knew who made that. And they weren't, they weren't willing or able at the time, to, because they didn't have any extra, to, to sell us just the filter material on big rolls. And then I thought to myself, well, why do I have to, I mean, that would be the perfect way to do it is if I could buy it on big rolls. But you know what? If I need to, I'll just go buy it 
as finished HVAC filters and we'll cut them into pieces. And that's what we ended up doing. And that really saved our butts. It really did. That was a massive part of our ability to kind of, because what we ended up doing is a, by changing our mentality of we need to buy this in its raw, you know, rolled format for optimization. We said, okay, well, you know what, let's just see what we can get. And by switching that mentality to that, and we were able to buy finished filters from, I don't remember who it was, one of the big suppliers. And we ended up getting the, and because of that, we were able to, to buy essentially a lot higher quality filter material, um, to provide to the market. Because if we would have said we can only, we're only willing to buy materials that are able to be sold to us in a virgin way, right? That was like on a rolled or uncut way. If we would have been only willing to buy those materials, we would have only been able to buy the cheap, bad filtration material because that was the only thing the vendors had at the moment that they didn't already have like set aside for like medical purposes, right? So for us being able to say, no, no, we'll buy the finished material. We were able to basically buy up, you know, filters that a lot of these big companies had had sitting in warehouses and we were able to turn them into filters that could be used, you know, now. And that was actually a, a good solution. And so that was, so we pushed and we pushed and we pushed and we hired a bunch of these seamstresses. We got the home sewing network up and rolling. And then what ended up happening, and this was actually a good indicator for me that things were changing, was the home sewers started going back to work, right? Like one by one, not the home sewers, I should say, the professional sewers, one by one started saying, well, actually I've got some projects that my boss is bringing us back for and things like that and I can't do it anymore. And so I was like, maybe things are opening up a little bit more. And then, you know, things started to get a little bit better and our sales ended up slowing and tapering pretty significantly. So we kind of missed that first wave, I should say, in that, and by the time, so we remember how we'd gone out of stock for that, we ended up going out of stock for about five days. We were able to get a lot more caught up in those five days, but we ended up going out of stock for five days. And then when we restarted selling it again, we ended up having a lot lower baseline sales. So you have to ask yourself, would it have been a better thing to not put them out of stock and to continue to allow those higher level sales, but have really long lead times and people unhappy? Because that's what that is, is people unhappy. Or was it better to put it out of stock and have a, uh, have a problem where when they came back, people bought them less, but we had shorter lead times? I think we made the right decision. And I think the reason why is because it prioritized the customer experience over the monetary gain. It really did. Because it meant that if you were a customer from us and you bought our masks, they would come to you reliably, relatively quick compared to our competitors. And they, they, we, could be, we could keep the lead times that we told you, right? We didn't have to delay and delay and delay after that first week, which was, uh, first week was mostly shock and awe. That was part of the reason why there was a lot of bad decision-making that day is first off, we were really excited because we had a product that was selling like that was that, that 360 sales in a single day, even of a, like a low value item comparatively compared to our rest of our line was well over 10 times. Well, it was probably 10 times a good day, right? So when you have sales that are 10 times your normal like all of a sudden we were like trying to like we had to go back and say okay can we can we figure out the shipping for this do we have to buy a lot more packaging because we don't normally keep a ton of packaging on it like we had to like really really revamp because it shifted us from we make a few really high-end quality products every day um you know and we do that to we need to basically create a production line assembly where we're churning out a lot of low volume high qual or high volume um high quality you know identical things because a lot of our products right now that we sell that are leather products they're all unique they're all different right so this was a shift in our product line to say okay well all of these masks are going to be identical 
So how can we optimize the production to make the same thing over and over when our production previously had been making different things every time? And so that was like, so we had like, I, I think the, the culture shift, the change in suppliers, the change in process, the bringing on of new outside help, the new manufacturing process that we ended up having for the, you know, home sewers and the production that went into that, like all of these pieces individually were solvable. And if I would have, if I would have known what was going to take to do it all, I, I would have been, it would have been so daunting. It would have seemed impossible. It would have been easier just to say, we're just going to close down. But the reality of how we succeeded was I wasn't willing to do that. I solved the problem in front of me. And as every problem arrived, we just solved it, right? And sometimes the solutions that we solved early in the process, we had to change later because we realized they weren't like going to work long term. They were good for the moment, but they weren't long term decisions. And I trusted my team and I trusted the fact that I, I hired good people. I, and, and they themselves individually time and again proved themselves that they were willing to go above and beyond. I'm not kidding. The first week that we really pushed production to its max, we had everyone there. And most of our employees don't work 40 hour weeks. Most of them work 25 to 35 hour weeks, mostly because a lot of them are students and things like that. So the employee, everyone was working 40 hour weeks. Plus, most of them were working 50 hour weeks. And we ended up staying and doing an extra half day on Saturday to get caught up that day. So the team and no, no one said a word of complaint. No one said, I can't do that. Everyone said, I'm here for it. We want to make this work. I want to help. I'd have to go look now. We haven't run the numbers in a while. I think we've produced over 2,000 masks and sold over 2,000 masks. Um, we've donated a bunch, too. I, there's a lot, of, a lot of good that's come out of this. I think it was mid-May or towards the end of May, um, right around the time that, obviously, the civil unrest has kind of come out that a lot of the mask sales dropped off and we had always had some leather production. I mean, not that first two weeks of like mass production that we pretty much just made masks. But after that, we, we had a couple, we would, we still like, we still were sold, selling leather things um, a lot less than we were before. So what we would end up doing is we'd say, okay, well one day for one morning, we're going to do all of our leather stuff and get caught up in our leather orders. And then we're going to go back to production. And that worked out pretty well. But what we ended up seeing was we saw the mask orders decline and our leather orders increase at about the same time. And that shift happened pretty naturally and pretty comfortably. And we got back into things. And now to this day, I, you know, we, we still sell masks a handful every day. We sell a couple of masks every day. Uh, and we have, we ended up, well, I should, I should finish the story the way the kind of the story at least somewhat ends. We had, so the professional seamstresses started kind of dropping off one by one to go back to the regular job. And we had, at that time, I think, we have we currently to this day have enough raw materials that if suddenly there was a big spike and people needed to buy masks in a hurry, we could actually pick that production back up and get rolling within a day or two. Like we could be back to making masks in a heavy way in a day or two. We have a pretty decent supply of masks because what ended up happening is as the professional seamstresses dropped off and as the the demand dropped off, we kept the home sewing network basically producing at its same level. And so we were losing. So our production went from, you know, it's high level to about half because the professional sewers made up half of the, the production. Um, and we kept that half production going well beyond the demand needed. And so we built up a, a stock of masks that now are finished, ready to go, packaged, um, and the filters associated with them, they're all ready to go, sitting on shelves. And so as we get mask orders that come in, we pull from that, that stock, of course. But if we all of a sudden said, okay, today, 
someone needed to buy 300 masks, we could ship out 300 masks that next day. And then we have enough material to get that programmer up and rolling so that within two or three days, those those masks or within three or four days, I should say those masks would probably be restocked and we'd be able to keep going with production and we'd be able to have enough lead time that we could then order from our suppliers, assuming they had some stock that we could then have that by the time our mask that we have made would sell out the raw materials that we have could be made into masks and could continue selling. And by the time that that all ran out, our new stock would arrive. So that's kind of been our new strategy for the masks. And we've kind of somewhat gone back to business as normal. Now, out of that, out of this crisis, it's, it's taught me a ton of things and I will go over, um, I do want to go over, like I, I've been doing a six month, aud- six, six month audit of our financial documents. Um, and obviously like it's not, we're not done with six months, so it's a little bit tricky, but I've been mostly starting from the beginning and by the time June's over, I'll like have June to do, and then I'll have a six month audit. But the thing is the, the picture it paints for us is really interesting because we started off the year pretty good compared to last year like year over year we started off in a really good place and then COVID hit and there's this whole it's like a it's like a slice out of the picture like you could literally take and pull that entire piece those two or three months out of that that document and put it in its own thing and then you, we've got back to you know from basically end of may to early june to mid-june things have been better than last june and more like january more like February, you know, so we've seen uh, our kind of our business as usual kind of go back. And really, actually, it's taught me a lot of things. And we are in the midst right now of very seriously restructuring our product line. And uh, you'll see those changes come down in the next few months um, and how that 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 the product line itself will shift and it will shift. Uh, I think for the better, I think it really is going to be uh, a, a significant improvement over the course of time. Um, both internally and externally, and it's, it's changed our attitude a little bit. Um, you know, I think before this, we like, well, when I was optimistic in you know, spring of 2019, I was like, we're going to do $10 million in three. That was absurd. That's just, that was absurd then. And I thought, I mean, I knew it was absurd. I've always tried to kind of pick absurd goals because that helps you make, if you miss, you know, you aim for the stars and you'll miss. So, you know, it's like, that wasn't the, that wasn't the line. Boy, did I fudge that one. Um, (laughs) Shoot for the moon, you'll hit, in the, you'll land in the stars. That's what it is. So, I ended up changing my perspective, and I, I mean, this podcast is already twice as long, three times as long as it's supposed to be. So I won't go into that too much today. But I want to get back into the podcast. Um, I didn't keep a very good journal during that time. I didn't do my podcast during that time, and I really feel like that was a disservice to myself and to obviously you guys. But there's going to be a future me where I'm going to forget the details. It's going to make like they're going to get fuzzier and fuzzier. So I'm going to hope during the next couple of podcasts and obviously over the course of the next few months, I'm going to like several times I'm like going to go back and talk about like things that happened that were like key moments during the crisis so that I have some recollection or at least some memory of them, you know, in some sort of recorded format. And I've tried to do the same with my journal, which I've now gotten much more into. Um, It's part of my new good habits that I'm trying to form. But with that in mind, there are... There, there's a lot of good that's come out of this. You know, it's, it's obviously the fact that we survived in and of itself is good. That, that did not, that, that, there was a very real possibility for a very long time that that was not going to happen. And now that we've come out of it, we've been actually able to like really financially reinforce the footing of the company. 
um, which was something we'd always struggled with. You know, I'd been so focused on growing, growing, growing that I'd really forgotten that it's like, okay, if you turn all of that money back, that profit back into growing the company, while that can be good, there comes a point where you like if something happens where you don't have any safety net. So we've really, really, really shored up our financial footing. And to some extent, we've kind of put like the idea of really intense growth in the past. We've actually kind of we we as a company have reached a point now where the number of employees we have and the tasks that they do and what I do and the amount of money that that requires to maintain that process is actually in a really good place because we've got a large enough staff now where if someone was out sick if a few people went on vacation um we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't have to close down the shop right and we've gotten i've gotten myself now to a point where i've got someone who's managing production and operations i've got someone who's managing customer service in a much more intense way because leah obviously got you know james has required more and more attention so leah's been doing more of that um and so we found a customer service person who's kind of a dedicated customer service person as well and that actually them working upstairs in the workshop has really made things better um because they're a lot closer to the production line and they can answer questions of like when is my order going to ship and how are things going without like there's no delay for them to ask that question so we've been able to really get our customer service back up we've been brand ambassador has had some evolutions for us um internally and i'll talk more about the evolution of brand ambassador for us um and where it's at now but we've seen a pretty significant change there and that person's managing that which is good and i actually was able to go on vacation with my wife and my son for like a little while and I didn't need to do anything. It was the first time in two years where I have had a team that's been able to, and is trained and, and has enough duties that I didn't have to work. That was a really big accomplishment. That was kind of in my mind. I realize now in hindsight, that was actually a personal goal that I didn't even really acknowledge. But so, so that's where for me, it's like now that we've reached that point, I really want to for us to restructure the company to be basically saying, OK, if we didn't grow any further than this. What could we do? Like if we didn't get larger than this from like a, a company standpoint, saying like we didn't hire any new people, we didn't necessarily change our workshop, although that's still something that's on the maybe. Right. It's still something that could potentially happen. I know that was something that was a goal before, but um, how can we take this machine that we've built now? And make it the most efficient it can be. How can we get orders in and out as fast as possible? How can we make our inventory system as organized and as streamlined and as um, smartly managed as we possibly can? How can we uh, make sure that our employees are compensated in not only financially the best way possible, but also like emotionally and mentally, like taking days off and, you know, having, you know, fun days at the office where I, we, we like make bring call and get pizza or something or you know we do beers after work or whatever like how can we make the day fun and enjoyable and um you know how can i work on saying okay if, if employees have a little extra time you know how can we help encourage them to build their own projects right the same way google does where they say that 50 you know 20 percent of your time is you know dedicated to your own projects how can i in- encourage and inspire my employees to to take on projects and and you know i've really focused a lot on saying how can we do uh continuing education for everyone you know both with my leadership team which has been something for me that's been uh, it's weird because i was a teacher for a little while and i went through a lot of education but it's weird being in a position where i'm like let's let's do like leadership exercises and work on you know evolving you know you to become even a better leader and myself is included in that right i fall into that category as well so we're kind of evolving in a good way and I'm, i'm excited to see what happens and it's kind of been necessary and i think I think all in all, I am 
I am pleased with the way we handled the crisis. I don't know if I would go back and change things. I mean, I might do some little things differently, but nothing major. Um, I'm excited for where the future is going. I'm excited for where the company is at. And I'm genuinely, uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm genuinely happy with where things are, right? I, I don't necessarily need, you know, always in the past. It's always been bigger, better, faster, stronger, more amazing, you know, more explosive. And I, I, my, my attitude has changed a little bit. I don't know if I'm more risk averse. I don't think that's true, but I have realized that after, after a crisis like this, being able to come out of that stronger is a, is a testament to a, a commitment towards internal growth. And so for us, that's what we're going to do for a little while. For the next, I'm, I'm going to say for the next six months, that's my goal. By the end of this year, I want us to internally have really improved our internal processes. I desperately don't want to like spend a lot of money investing in some sort of you know crazy new change we have some improvements to the product that we're working on that i've got that i'm really excited about but a lot of those things it's not like we're like launching massive new product lines and we're not like changing things drastically right we're working on improving what we've built on and taking this firm foundation and and like making it you know getting rid of the dead weeds and you know cleaning up the the landscaping a little bit and making it so that this this project runs at the moment, the best way it can. And that's going to set us up for a much larger expansion that we've got planned in 2021. So saying, you know what, we're going to take this time. We're not going to hammer heavy on the growth, but instead are going to work on improving things where they are, making them a little bit better, maybe introducing a couple of new programs, but in a low cost, low intensity kind of way. And then setting ourselves up for success in 2021 with the big projects there. Um, I think that's going to be the best plan moving forward. And I'm excited about it. I really... I really appreciate all of you. During this time, it's really easy to feel like, you know, particularly as a business owner, it's like, it's been hard. But you guys have continued to send in notes of encouragement. Um, you know, guys, you've left positive reviews and, you know, you guys have been such an involved community on Instagram and other places that it's just, it's, it's been really encouraging for me. It's really helped me be positive about the situation and know that there are people out there who love what we're doing and want to support us. And I, I really appreciate you and all of the, the super fans out there who've continued to just be, you know, allies in our, in our, you know, continued growth. I want, um, I've got a lot of opportunities that I want for you guys, especially that I want to help. And, and those will be coming down the road, hopefully. So, uh, for those of you who have just come to us or are new to the team or new to the community, um, we're glad to have you. And there has been a lot of new people. We're glad to have you. We're very excited about this and, and what this little company can, can do. We're thrilled about how far we've come and we're excited for where we're going. And for those of you who've been around for a long time, you can, I think you guys can see and have watched the evolution of both my mentality, me personally, as well as the company in its, in its attitudes and its products and how we've evolved that. And I'm hoping it's been educational and entertaining. Um, it's been pretty entertaining to me. Um, so thank you, genuinely, and stay tuned. I'm, I can't promise I'll be back to twice a week like I really want to be. I really do want to be back to twice a week, but I can definitely promise you that I will keep doing this, and I want to keep doing this, and I want to keep doing this more regularly because, frankly, it's good for me, and it's good for you guys, and, frankly, there's no problem with it. It takes not that long to do, so I just need to sit down and do it. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Be sure to check back in. 
Actually, it's better to subscribe. That way you get notified when I do the next podcast. I'm going to try to do it every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, so check back in Tuesdays and Thursdays, but be sure to hit that subscribe button, um, both on the podcast app if you're listening on a podcast app or on YouTube if you're listening on YouTube and watching on YouTube. To get the latest podcast right away, you'll get notified. Be sure to turn on the bell if you are on YouTube. Um, that helps it, you get a notification when we post a new one. So that actually does help. If you have any questions or concerns about your leather binder, folio, journal, or mask or accessories now, we've continued to expand it. Please feel free to contact us on the main page of our website at MurdyCreative.co, or you can contact us via Instagram and Facebook. You can text, email, call, direct message, all the usuals, and I will do my best to get back to you as soon as possible, and I do appreciate your patience. Uh, if you think you d- we deserve it, a good review can go a long way to help us grow our new community. Both a review on our podcast, right, on the podcast app you're listening up, so a review of the podcast really does help. Commenting, being part of the community really helps. Um, but also a review of the product line. So if you want to review a product that you've received, go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash murdycreative.co, or you can type murdycreative.co in the search bar. On the um, left-handed side of the page, there's a reviews button. If you click on that, there's going to be all of our many, many, many five-star reviews, which just make my heart sing all the time. Uh, but there's actually a, a thing that says, do you recommend the Murdy Creative Company? And you can click yes, and then you can write your review. And that really does mean a lot to us. We read those. We're working on getting them up on the wall. It's like it's it's really means it makes a difference for us it really does i read all of them also um word of mouth is best this is the best form of advertising so please really tell your friends if anybody asks if you have a journal or a binder or folio or a mask at this point someone asks you where you got it tell them really it does help us um Small businesses like ours thrive off people saying, oh, I loved them and I love working with them. I love getting it from them. So, you know, being that acolyte is really good. And if you're interested and you are a product owner, um, you can check out our ambassadors program. It's murdycreative.co slash ambassador, or you can find it in the about section, I think, of our website. So uh, if you click that drop down, there should be an ambassador page there. So go check out our ambassadors page and, and, and learn more about that program if you're interested in doing that. If you have any podcast topics you want to hear about, and this is something where I'm truly, there's been a lot that's happened, and so I'm curious if you guys have topics to talk about, um, send them my way. I'm always happy to engage with our growing community, and I'm going to give you guys what you want. I will say there are some topics that I may not talk about, even if you ask me about them, at least not on the podcast, um, mostly because, not that I'm afraid of talking about difficult topics, but there are some topics where it's difficult to... um, It's inappropriate for my opinion to cloud judgment of the company. So I, I'll be honest, I'll probably tell what I'm thinking, and I can't imagine a topic that I wouldn't talk about right now, but I will say that there are some things that I'm realizing as I go along may be better for me to, um, to, to reflect on before I jump into them. Uh, if you're looking for multiple binders, gift, journals, folios, or masks, uh, for gifts or giveaways, menus, really any reason, ask about our bulk discounts available. The minimum order quantity for a discount is five. So it, like we've got discounts for bulk orders particularly. And if you know, you're looking to get graduation gifts, I mean, wedding gifts at this point, particularly for those people who unfortunately didn't have their wedding, or, you know, you're a business owner who says, you know, my team's worked really hard for this, like to help us get through COVID. And I want to help, you know, I want to give them something, but obviously, you know, giving them a pay increase is a little tricky. So instead saying, we're well, you know, I'm going to give them a nice journal by folio with my logo on it that's that's a great gift so uh, if you're interested about that send us an email sales at murdycreative.co contact us on the website we're happy to you know help with that thank you guys so much for tuning in have a great day and goodbye